This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody, welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio in this program. We've got Kevin Springer with us, and we're going to be talking about prophetic guidance. It's going to be an exciting program. You guys stay tuned. You are watching the Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this program. I know this is the first episode you're seeing, uh, but it's actually our second episode that we have taped with our friend uh, here on the other line. If you're not familiar with Kevin and his ministry, uh, he uh, we, well, we did an interview with him on the Anaheim Vineyard and kind of his experience with John Wimber and others, and we'll kind of dive into that episode later on when it is published. So exciting to kind of pick up our conversation with him. But if you're uh, coming to Remnant Radio for the first time and you're not familiar with our ministry, uh, I encourage you, uh, maybe check out some links in the description. We got stuff on Facebook and YouTube on the Twitter space. We got every links everywhere. You can go check us out and connect with us. But if you have a longtime follower and you want to support the ministry, there are links in the description to do that as well. You can have a one-time gift on PayPal or you can be a reoccurring giver on Patreon. As low as five bucks a month, you'll get access to extra content there on Patreon. Without further ado, uh, this is my friend Kevin and my friend Michael. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to Michael real quick to tell me uh, how is it going over there in Oklahoma's? It's going great over here in the Oklahoma. So I'm excited to be on the show with, uh, with Kevin Springer. Uh, Kevin, we, we enjoyed making, uh, I guess, becoming friends in Anaheim when we were there in August yes. and uh, yes. getting to know you. And so we uh, interacted with Kevin a lot in John Wimber's home, telling John Wimber stories. And uh, this interview is going to be a little different. We'll, we'll, there will be a little bit of Wimber in it, but it's going to be more than that. Uh, Kevin wrote a memoir of his life. Uh, I have it right here. Uh, it's called A Road of Unimagined Adventure, How Big Words Have Shaped My Life. And so we titled the episode Prophetic Guidance because uh, a lot of these big words came sort of by the Holy Spirit in various revelatory ways. So if you're listening and you're seeking guidance from God and what does that look like? Well, this is going to be sort of a boots on the ground kind of application of that as Kevin talks through it. So uh, Kevin, excited to have you on the show. Uh, I know you, uh, you've done a lot of exciting things in your life. It's really been quite an unimaginable adventure. Uh, see what I did? Anyway, <laughs> uh, I like so we're eager to interview you uh, this afternoon. So uh, Kevin, if you could maybe just start us out, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and about this book. Why, why did you call it A Road of Unimagined Adventure and How Big Words Shaped My Life? Well, that's a good question. Uh, the book really came out of uh, the COVID, uh, a COVID lockdown. Uh, when COVID hit, uh, I isolated out in our guest house and my wife, uh, Suzanne, who had uh been studying, really discipled, I guess you could say, by Joshua Becker, who 
uh, he teaches on minimalism, uh, she said, you know, honey, we've got 38 boxes of photographs and memorabilia and all kinds of things up in the rafters. And uh, we can't leave this to our kids like this. So I took it upon myself and uh, we worked together to sort through all these mostly photographs. And what came out of it was, uh, I began to see something in, my, in our lives that God was doing in our lives, had done in our lives that I hadn't really seen before. Uh, just so you know, I was 74 years old when we did this. So um, in laying it out, I realized our, our lives really uh, could be separated into these different eras, uh, geographic eras, really, where I asked the question as we got involved in different kinds of ministry and so on, well, what led us from one thing to another at the crossroads, these, these uh, changes in life when God redirected our life? And you know, if you think of Psalm 23, he says, um, he leads us in paths, paths of righteousness. The idea is that God really leads us. He speaks to us. He, and in our lives, that's in fact what happened. We saw big words, sometimes prophetic words. Well, they could be anything. And, and I, I define big words as uh, my way of capturing the experience of God really clearly and without doubt. You just know in your knower that he's speaking to me and he's guiding my path in ways that were, are going to be life-changing and demanding. And uh, they're led by the Holy Spirit and um, not they're never, never easy. Uh, and they can come in so many different ways. Um, obviously, prophetic words, uh, preaching, uh, let me turn that off. Uh, prayer, dreams, visions, angels, those in authority, friends, sometimes just casual comments. And of course, many times, God's still small voice in the soul. In fact, um, the idea behind this is that um, God is our friend, and he wants a personal relationship with us, and he wants to speak to us. He wants to to talk to us. Uh, that's why in John uh, 10, 27, um, Jesus said, um, my sheep hear my voice. Um, we're his friends. He speaks to us and we should expect to hear his voice. But big words, and I'm not saying there are other, well, I guess you could call them smaller words we get all the time, but big words come at life's crossroads. Uh, those moments of change that, that kind of determine our future. For example, um, when Suzanne and I were first married as students, uh, we heard a speaker, uh, and we didn't know what we're supposed to do our first year of marriage, and we heard a speaker quote from Deuteronomy 24, uh, verse 5, which, uh, which says, um, well, I'll read it here. When a man takes a bride, he must not go um, out with the army, um, or be liable to any duty. He's free to stay at home for one year so he can bring joy to the wife he's married. Well, this was at the beginning of the Vietnam War, actually well into the Vietnam War, and I was going to be quite uh, eligible for the draft. But we made the decision not to pursue graduate school. Um, I was thinking of being a doctor in medical school. Take one year and uh, devote ourselves to each other. That was a big word and that took us to this, from California into the state of Maine. 
And uh, there are many other examples of that sort of thing that I can share. Well, maybe, so I'm glad that you defined big words like, okay, not that there are necessarily small words. I liked that it wasn't multi-syllables, right? Like when you said big words, it wasn't like hypostatic union or something like that when you're talking about big words, but you're talking about prophetic words that lead us and guide us. My friend, exactly. Stephen, uh, no, is it Stephen? No, Isaiah Salvador, he, he made the statement that when you're driving on the highway, there are these little small signs that say, you know, I-35, letting you know yeah. that where you're at. And then there's these really big signs that tell you when there's like a, a, a fork in the road saying, hey, you can go this way, you know, to head towards Denton, or you can go this way, you know, heading towards Dallas. Um, so you have these small signs that kind of tell you that you're on the right path. And you have these big signs that saying, hey, there are different changes in direction. So that's kind of what I understand as a big word or a small word. Could you maybe help me in a biblical context for people who are out yes, there who are watching yeah. the show? I was going to give an example. Please, uh, please, Abraham. yes. Uh, Abraham uh, was directed by God uh, when he was uh, standing in front of the burning bush. Mo uh, excuse me, Moses. <laughs> Abraham didn't question God when he received a word uh, uh, to pick up his family and move hundreds of miles away. And, and, uh, and um, Mary trusted God's word when an angel spoke to her and said she was going to be the mother of Jesus. And the 12 disciples heard uh, Christ's call to come and follow me, and they left everything behind. Those, those are big words. Uh, crossing the, the Rubicon, um, Rubicon words, um, that there can be no turning back. And you see this again and again in Scripture, critical moments of God working in our lives. And I think many people um, ignore these words. Uh, they, they're not listening to God. But I'm going to say it again. God's our friend. He speaks to us. And um, when he speaks, um, he speaks through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And, uh, and we know, at least in my life, we know in our knower that that's God's word. Now, when I'd receive these words, uh, we would also go and check them out uh, different ways. Scripture, uh, through mentors, um, through the community that we're a part of, uh, and because the people of God, God doesn't work through autonomous individuals. He works through individuals that are tied in to his to his people community the church so i don't know if that helps but certainly in scripture i see big words again and again paul what an example on the road to damascus that was a big word he received and he went from being a, a persecutor to the persecuted immediately yeah uh so you talk about knowing in your knower okay uh I get when it comes to hearing the voice of the Lord is like, how do you really know that it's the Lord? So maybe you could help us step into that space. How would you answer that question? Because if you say you just know it in your knower, I can imagine somebody saying back, but I don't know in my knower. I never know anything in my knower. I am always confused about which direction I should take. I can't tell if it's the voice of God. So how do I know? How do I know? Uh, maybe you could just expand on that for us a little bit. Uh, certainly. Um the way we can know in our knower is if we have cultivated a relationship with Christ. That is a, a, a relationship that's rooted in Scripture, spending time in Scripture, uh, a relationship rooted in community um, with other brothers and sisters where we've been discipled, and um, a relationship 
um, that's rooted in prayer. Uh, we spend time as we speak to God, we listen to God, and uh, that relationship grows where we can know and we can hear God's voice. But we also have, how can I say this, uh, parameters uh, that, can, that can protect us. And um, in every major, I think every big word I received, um, with one exception, and that's, the, that's when I heard uh, Billy Graham speak in 1963. I was with about 134,000 people at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And I'd been searching for God as a 14-year-old boy. And um, then I knew in my knower that I heard the gospel. And Christ was speaking to me. So uh, there are those times, too. But generally, when it comes to life directional words, uh, the kind of which I describe in this book, it breaks our lives into nine chapters, really. Um, each time there, there, were, there were checks that, to help us to get confirmation that what we really heard was true. Yeah. Kevin, would it, would it be fair to say that, that, that other words, and I, mean, I think we're, we're asking in terms of like, you know, our audience who we've, we've tried to make the case that, you know, God speaks here way and there away, and sometimes man doesn't perceive it. You know, sometimes God yeah. speaks audibly from heaven and people don't hear him or, or Peter, right. you know, on, on the roof, you know, gets a vision and it's perplexing to him. Are you making yeah. the case that these big words, when they're life changing, life altering, that there's a level of clarity to them that you can know when uh, you're nowhere, whereas clarity, other words can be cryptic? That, yeah, there's a clarity you're supposed to be that I know we're supposed to be doing this. But what I didn't know is ever all the ramifications for a for obedience, for saying, okay, we'll step out in faith. And rarely did they come out the way I, I thought they would, but they came out the way God wanted them to. And that's all that matters in the end. Okay. Well, uh, so about that, like the steps of obedience that it requires, one of the stories that you tell in your book is about a, a lucrative offer that came after you'd already said yes to God about something else. Right. And one of the statements that you make is that big words, life-altering words, are almost always tested. That's right. So uh, could you, one, show that from the scripture that big words are almost always tested? Uh, any biblical stories come to mind? And then, uh, two, maybe even flesh that out in your own personal story. Well, let's take Abraham and Sarah when, when he was, when he tried to... <laughs> They were in a very difficult situation, and and um, he tried to pawn his wife off as his sister, which was, of course, a half-truth. Um, I, I think you could say it was being tested right there, because his, his response wasn't always in faith. Um, how about, how about um, um, Paul, when he, um, he was, uh, had to escape Damascus in a basket? He was a basket case. <laughs> You think he didn't? Have some, did they? Yeah. Ha, ha. Have you made See, that he, sermon joke before? Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So too bad I already uh, passed X nine. I'll have to. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, so all of a sudden he's being he's he's being broken at that at that moment, and he talks about it later. I think in Second Corinthians, um, where he just realizes. You know, all I had to offer God was really nothing. It's what he had to offer me that's, that's everything. 
So I think again and again, you see the people of God being tested in their, in their obedience. And, uh, and the test, by the way, it isn't so that God can, God learns more about you. He's trying to show you more about you. And, um, time and again for me, uh, and if this doesn't come through, this does come through in the book. It's that when when we obeyed and when wonderful things happened, uh, always in the end, I'd look back and say, yeah, but it wasn't because I did anything clever or I was so smart. In fact, many times the way I thought the word should be fulfilled wasn't fulfilled that way. Um, God wanted to do it another way to show me that he was the one who's doing it, that it's that. Um, that we're the vine, uh, we're the we're the branches, and he's the vine, and he's the source, and uh, that's again and again and again. So what I don't want to leave your listeners with is the idea that yeah, we get a big word, we go do it, and great things happen that we never imagined um, uh, possible that he promised would happen. Well, great things happen, but not the way we thought they would, and usually in a way that humbles us. <laughs> really humbles up. That's good. Can you tell us about uh, the time that you got like a big word in Deuteronomy 24, 5, uh, and, and then maybe also use that experience to explain to us how God can speak to us big words in scripture? Yeah, well, uh, we were at what's called the J.C. Light and Powerhouse. When we were college students, we were at USC. The J.C. Light and Powerhouse was at, uh, in Westwood. And uh, as students, and it was a really exciting time. Uh, um, we were reaching our campuses, UCLA and USC, for Christ. Um, we, we sensed God working in us in remarkable ways. And we would meet there, and, and there was a preaching that went on one night. I believe it was Ray Nethery who brought the preaching, and uh, who was a man who eventually discipled, he discipled me. Incidentally, Ray Nethery is still alive. He's 93 and I talk to him regularly. Um, and uh, that scripture was quoted um, from Deuteronomy 24.5, and it just hit us because we were asking God, what is our next step supposed to be? We had a lot of options for us, uh, in front of us. And um, we also had the war. <laughs> so, um, but when we heard that, we knew, no, we're supposed to take this first year to establish a foundation in our marriage so that our marriage will last a lifetime. So we went out from there and we said, what should we do? We didn't hear a word how that should work out after that. And we figured out, we thought, well, you know, it'd be kind of cool to go out and teach for one year. We don't want to be teachers long term. And I was talking to a friend at college from Philadelphia and he said, you ought to go to Maine. And we wrote a uh, school district in Maine, and they said, we want these two Californians to come and teach for a year. And that's how we ended up in Eastport, Maine, the easternmost city in the United States, in Washington County, the forest count, poorest county in all of New England. And that was quite an experience. <laughs> yeah, and then we went from there. Yeah. Okay. Well, to maybe kind of continue along those lines. So it's like, it sounds like God prophetically applied Deuteronomy 24, 5 to you. Now, mm -hmm. I haven't had extensive... But, but by the way, by the way, I, we didn't say that's a prophetic word at the time. We, we, <laughs> right. didn't, we didn't understand to define it that way. We just said right. that's a word well, from just, God. You just did it yeah. the cessationist way. God impressed it upon my heart. 
Oh, no, 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 no. We were very aware of the Holy Spirit speaking okay. to us okay. very specifically. But it isn't just always... Uh, yeah, I was I was being tongue in cheek that sometimes <laughs> the differences with continuation cessationists is, is a vocabulary issue, and it depends on who oh, you're I talking agree. about. But I, I uh, so if you just can avoid the word prophecy and, and use the word impression, they're like, ah, okay, some of them. Anyway, uh, all good. I love my cessationist brothers and sisters. Uh, but yeah, on that, so Deuteronomy twenty four five. I've had extensive conversations with you about say your understanding of the Mosaic Law and how that fits with you know, new covenant believers and so on. Uh, but I'm going to guess that you would probably say we're not under the law of Moses in the same way that Israelites living in that time were. Like, you've probably never felt like this strict conviction of conscience about uh, not boiling a goat in its mother's milk or, uh, no. I don't know, making sure you have a parapet around your uh, roof balcony. So I, I'm guessing that you would say we're not under the law in that same way. And yet, God, you at least probably articulate it today, God prophetically applied a verse from the Old Covenant to your present Correct. situation. Correct. Can you help us understand the theology of that a little bit? It's the theology of the Holy Spirit. It's very simple. He, uh, he speaks to us and he uses the full word of God. And speaking to us. Uh, legalism says there's a law, we follow it, and that gives us right standing with God. And um, as opposed to the Old Testament uh, laying the found foundation and uh, in, in pointing to the new covenant in Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, the new covenant is the covenant of the Spirit who works in us and speaks to us and makes the word come alive. Yeah, that, I don't know. It's not, it's, I don't think it's that complicated. <laughs> you know, right. if, if but yeah. you would agree, we're not under the law of Moses in the same way oh, yeah. Israel was, but oh, you yeah. would just say, but the Holy Spirit can apply any scripture, any, any one of his verses of scripture any, to your any life verse. in a prophetic way. Any, any verse. Absolutely. In, in, I, I'm in, in agreement fact, with you. I saw, I just, yeah. I saw someone in the chat comment on that, so I wanted to kind of bring that to light. So no, well, let me okay. let me ask a follow up question, kind of in that same vein. You know, uh, Kevin, I, I was raised in a kind of classical Pentecostal space, and one of the things that we were well, really famous for is something I call Gnosticizing Scripture, where you find a secret meaning in the Scripture that no one else has ever seen in all of human history, right? Uh, so, like the woman who's got the issue with blood and the, the uh, Jairus's daughter who's 12 years old, Jesus gets off the boat, he's walking to uh, heal Jairus's daughter, you know, she's she's 12 years old, she's dying, and then this woman who has the issue of blood for 12 years reaches out and touches Jesus. And then my Pentecostal buddies would be like, these represent the church. You got the, the church of revival and the, you know, the, the, the young people who haven't had a touch from Jesus and, and the older people who, uh, you know, who need a touch from Jesus. And, and you know, one's going to come into their maturity and the other one can't reproduce, you know, uh, uh, new believers and get souls into the church. And, and these, these women represent the church because the church represents 12 and, and 12 is government. And, and anyway, so they, they create these kinds of illustrations where this is a historical event in a historical place and time. Uh, communicating yeah. historical truths that are factual. Um, and that being said, I don't know that God couldn't communicate through scripture in a kind of supernatural way on a personal level, but I would not be comfortable preaching that from the stage and saying, this is the interpretation of the word of God. So I'm reminded of like Ezekiel, who's, I think it's Ezekiel, who's like laying down on his side 
And the Lord's like, what do you see? And he's like, I see a pot and it's kind of like tipped over on its side and there's water coming out. And he's like, in the same way that, that water's tipped out, you know, that's how this nation's going to come and invade this other nation. So there was something that was happening naturally and God was able to use this natural thing to communicate supernaturally. I feel like in the same way, when we're reading scripture, the Holy Spirit can, you know, inspire us and catch our attention and say, in the same way that these people are, are heading east, you know, Kevin, I want you to head east. And, and I think that's totally applicable. Could you maybe help us uh, thread that needle on where the line of, I don't know, revelatory kind of preaching a text versus, you know, allowing the Spirit to you know, supernaturally apply a text to you in a unique way that hasn't hasn't been applied to others in times past? Well, the, the first point is a lot of times when people are doing that with Scripture, um, they're trying to apply something that perhaps God has spoken to them, to everybody. And, you know, that's the first mm-hmm. mistake. It, it would be like, okay, God's speaking to you in that way, in that Scripture, the analogy for you is there. But it doesn't mean that this applies to everybody. Um, um, so I would say that's one problem. Building a whole theology uh, that way is dubious, to say the least. Um, the historical theological approach to understanding Scripture and understanding his real history and then seeing how God works in that way. But it's, it's, lo- it's alive, and, and, and as you're engaging with Scripture, God is speaking to you. And um, I, I just have a problem with with that use of scripture that you talked about. I, I don't know. It can it can become very manipulative, and um, that's actually kind of dangerous, you know. In my in my opinion. Well, I I think that you made a good point earlier on in the conversation when you talk about those personal prophetic words. Because it's not it's not like okay, well, I can read the Bible personally like this, but. I can't do it from the stage. You'd almost say you don't want to read the Bible like that at all. You don't want to be reading the Bible trying to find some secret, unique meaning. It's to say if the Holy Spirit were to bring that upon you, you would be able to then take that word and, like you said, submit that to elders and leaders in the local community and say, hey, I think this is what God is speaking to me, and then kind of run that through that filter of confirmation that God has given us through the Scriptures, right? Uh, Let one prophet speak and the others weigh and test what's being said. So I think to your point again— this isn't just like, hey, I got this weird thing while I was reading the Bible, but I'm like submitting it to the community of faith and making yeah. sure that this is from the Lord, opposed to some guy just getting up and saying, thus saith the Lord, this is what the Bible says. But yeah, but just to be clear, not uh, the big words that directed our life, not all of them were, I read a scripture and God spoke to me and said to do this. Lots That's of good. times, it was, I sensed, we sensed in our heart and our spirit um, this is what I'm supposed to do. And then it was confirmed in, you know, in Scripture and with brothers and sisters. It's because we, this is the emphasis. God is our friend. Jesus is our friend. We cultivate a friendship relationship with him. And what friends do is they communicate and they listen to each other and they hear each other. And that means in my relationship, not certainly not my most proud moments, but when I've obeyed a big word and I went and done what he said to do, let me give you an illustration. Uh, I received um, a big word about when we planted a church, the church grew, we went and got a, we knew we had to buy a building and, uh, and, and I knew in my knower we're supposed to get this building. It would be a, a, a changer, a game changer for the church. 
So um, we did everything the right way and raised money and everything else. And then the week that it was supposed to close, um, everything fell through. Uh, we were supposed to close on a Friday and a Monday. I get a phone call from the Christian Lending Agency. We don't believe in you. We're not going to loan the money. <laughs> and, uh, and there are a couple other disappointments like that. And so I realized, um, uh, wow, did I hear God's voice? But I heard his voice. And it was confirmed. And we did everything right. And, and I did my due diligence, yada, yada, yada. So um, I'm sitting there and literally making plans to go to another part of the country to interview to get a job so I can uh, feed my family. And uh, I get a phone call. Hi. Um, and it was the real estate agent. We were buying a Jewish temple. Uh, the Jewish real estate agent saying, I heard that, uh, that your loan fell through, that you're out of it, that has gone, but you have to buy this building. Um, I go, uh, okay. He said, well, I'll get you the money. I go, what do you mean? Well, go to this um, uh, organization. Uh, it was actually a foundation. And they'll give you, you know, over a million dollars what's needed to loan it to you. And I hung up and I thought, yeah, right. So um, I did it. The next day, and we closed a day early. And as I said to the congregation, everything we planned, we took carefully. We did all our due diligence, everything right way, and the Christians uh, said they didn't believe in us. But the Jewish real estate agent and the secular foundation said, we believe in you, we got the building. Hmm. <laughs> and because of that, that church many years later today is a dynamic church, it's still there. And that was a critical move in all that. I had heard God's voice, but God was trying to say something which is a principle that I live by, which is it isn't about you, it's about him. And he'll do it any way he wants. And the glory should always go to him anyway. And boy, any credit that I wanted to uh, maybe even subconsciously um, acquire to myself, uh, mm -mm. Nope. it was all God. He was saying, you see, uh, I did hear his voice, but I will do it. And he did it. So yeah. I think this is so many instances like this in people's lives. By the way, and that's another issue. Then people get a word, it doesn't go the way they think it should, so they quit. Um, they walk away. I see this again and again and again. They don't give God a chance to do it the way he wants to do it. And um, it, it's, it's sad. It's very, very sad. And that's why... Paul said, when I am weak, he is strong. Um, incredible. Uh, I can go on and on with examples yeah. of this in our lives, and I'm sure you can too. Yeah. Um, but incidentally, our family motto is Springers don't quit. We, 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 we pound that into our kids. We pound it in growing up, and now our grandchildren. No quitters. Yeah, good. Okay, well, uh, I'd like to touch maybe on a theological uh, topic, the sufficiency of Scripture. So for our viewers out there, uh, sufficiency of Scripture means that God's Word is sufficient for salvation and sanctification. It gives us everything that we need in order to be saved, in order to grow with Christ. And so uh, we don't need extra things. We don't need additional uh, advice and gurus. Uh, we don't need church tradition to tell us. Uh, it's not that church tradition can't be valuable. It 
is incredibly valuable. Uh, but in terms of what is actually sufficient for the godly life, I have it in the Bible. So that's the doctrine of sufficiency of scripture. Look up second Timothy three, 16 to 17, yeah. actually really 15 to 17. Uh, you'll see a few examples in there. Okay. So, uh, and I'm not telling you that Kevin, I'm, I know, you know that, but, um, so in light of that doctrine of sufficiency of scripture, uh, when we talk about cessationists and they hear you uh, talking about and God said and God spoke and God's voice and all of this, they're going to accuse you, uh, perhaps at least some of them would, of endangering the sufficiency of scripture. That if you say God spoke to you, then it's like you're adding to the Bible. It's like you're saying, well, uh, the Bible is sufficient for some things, but I need additional words from God in order to live the full godly life that he's called me to. And so charismatics, because they believe in prophecy, because they believe God speaks today, are therefore endangering this historic doctrine. What would you say to somebody who makes that objection? That's like saying the early church was questioning the sufficiency of Scripture, which, which obviously wasn't. Uh, we're just living out what the word says. How, that's how we're supposed to live. The uh, scripture, we're applying the word of God. Uh, but what we don't do is we don't add to the, the foundational truths that are found there. No, absolutely not. Um, but scripture talks about, uh, the, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. He's been given to us to, to lead us and guide us. Again, I even in the Old Testament, Psalm uh, twenty-three, which which I like to repeat every night when I go to bed, um, it says um, He leads us in paths of righteousness. Well, you can, what does that mean that that we just uh, you read Scripture and certainly there are principles that we that we live by, but He says it doesn't say He gives us principles of righteousness. It says he leads us in paths of righteousness in the way we walk and live our lives. So I would say we're just living out um, the sufficiency of scripture when we open our hearts fully to him. But it's also important to understand we do it within the context of of, um, of the church, of the body of Christ. We do it, and, and, and scripture, and we, and we do it within the context of, well, like the apostles, um, uh, Creed says, um, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the communion of saints, and, and that means um, the whole history. So there is something to tradition, not adding to Scripture, but helping to understand the meaning of Scripture as we live it out in our life. And, and uh, that's not limiting Scripture. That's magnifying the Word of God in us, in my opinion. That's good. I, I've got a question in here from Gabriel where he says, I want to know if Mr. Springer has ever thought, thought he heard a word from the Lord, but latter found out or felt that he got it wrong. What did he do with that? So I, that's kind of an interesting question because you said, talk about knowing something in your knower. Have you ever, I mean, you shared a story of like knowing that you knew something, it looked like it fell through, but holding on and then yeah. turns out later God came through on it. Have you ever had an yeah. experience where you just knew in your knower no, no. How do you past tense know when you're nowhere? My, yeah, whatever past tense of that is. Uh, how how did you like? Did you ever have a moment when that had happened, and then it turns out it didn't flesh out, or it wasn't the Lord? And how do you engage with that? Yeah. Well, first of all, there's no doubt that you know in our fallenness, um, it's possible 
to to hear incorrectly, and that's why we hold these words. Well, it, it, let me give an illustration. Uh, one time, there's a prophetic word that was brought to Suzanne and me, and I went to John Wimber and I said, "Hey, this word, you know, came to us. I don't even remember what it was, uh, but I said, what should we do about it?" And he said, "Nothing." I said, "What do you mean? Uh, it, what didn't call for immediate action?" He said nothing, just to hold it in your heart, and if it's true, it'll come true. <laughs> Live it out. <laughs> well, uh, that's pretty good advice. I've followed that ever since. But there was a word that I, I thought I received, a really clear word um, related to the, um, the planning of a church that I did. And um, I thought, I, I knew it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then it finally came to the place where it looked like it was going to happen and it completely fell through and it was obvious it was never going to happen. And uh, I honestly, I was shocked. I, this is how my conversation went with God. I said, God, you're my friend. I know your voice. You, you say, you say in your word, my sheep hear my voice. Uh, they know me and uh, this didn't happen. And uh, then I said, well, obviously it must not, it must have been a bad taco or something I had that night, but I don't think so. So I just let it go. And, I, and, and, and then a little while later, somebody pointed out something to me about what I thought was the fulfillment of the word. They didn't know I had this word. And what I realized was I hadn't carefully listened to the word. Uh, the word was, you're going to have a church on Monterey in Palm Desert. And I looked up and saw a church building. This is way at the beginning. It was, I was driving down Monterey. And I said, oh, we're going to have that church building. And, and some seven years later, when we, got, when we finally bought a, a church um, building, uh, then that building on Monterey opened up and I said, there it is. I knew it. I heard God's voice. <laughs> and we went uh, to try to secure the building and it was crazy. No way it could happen. Gone. Uh, but then what was pointed out to me, actually I realized later was, wait a minute, the word was, we're going to have a church on Monterey in Palm Desert. The, that, that side of Monterey is in a different city called Rancho Mirage. That couldn't that building that I looked at couldn't be the building. And then I realized, wait a minute, we bought a church on Monterey in Palm Desert. The word was fulfilled. And what I learned from that is when you get a word from God, a prophetic word or any other kind of word, listen carefully. <laughs> you know, listen specifically to the word. I had failed to do that. So I learned something through, from that. Yes, he did fulfill the word. But boy, <laughs> it threw me for a loop. Um, mm. The other thing is, hold these words, you know, um, uh, you hear a word, you take it down, you say, okay, God. Then you get on with it, living your life daily in faithfulness, faith, you know, serving the Lord, you know, being a servant to other people, uh, uh, sharing the gospel, mediating the presence of Christ wherever you go. And these words will show themselves to be true because they're from God. So you don't have to strive. You don't have to make it. I never tried to make any of it happen, mm -mm. Mm -hmm. except when he said you're supposed to move. When, when uh, well, that's, I could 
give other stories for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, talk to us about um, your experience of you went through some ministry burnout for a season and you had a pretty crazy experience with the Lord that was instrumental in restoring you. Could you talk to us about that? Yes. Uh, I was uh, working for a publishing company in Ann Arbor, and I was also uh, pastoring a church. And um, it was, <laughs> I was just on a, on a burnout uh, road, I guess you could say. And a friend of mine who's had influence in my life, his name's Bert Gezi, said, I told him, I said, I'm just, I'm starting to feel kind of dead spiritually, just tired. And I'm um, having trouble getting out of bed in the morning. And he said, well, why don't you go to Michigan State University up in East Lansing? And uh, I suggest that you go hear this guy speak. His name is Mahesh Chavda. And uh, Mahesh, um, he's, he's an Indian um, um, preacher. And um, he has a real powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring renewal. And I said, okay, uh, I'll do it. So I go up there and there are, I don't know, there weren't, there weren't, there wasn't thousands of people, just 150 people maybe that were there around that. And uh, at the, and when he finished speaking, I went up front and kind of uh, walked up to him and I said, Hey Mahesh, uh, my friend Bert wanted to say hi to you. My name's Kevin Springer. I'm, you know, from Ann Arbor and all. And, and, and he said, Oh, he loved Bert. Well, as he was talking, his hands were kind of, you know, he's, he, he, he would talk with his hands. I didn't think he was from India. I thought he was from California because Californians tend, we tend to talk with our hands. And, uh, but I could feel like a force field going over me. And I thought, well, that's strange. He wasn't touching me or anything. And uh, then he looked at me and said, hey, uh, what is it? Would you like to receive prayer? I said, yeah, I, I'm really burning out. I'm tired. I just re need renewal. He said, okay, Holy Spirit, come and, you know, uh, refresh, renew, renew Kevin. Bam! I was literally thrown 10 feet back against a wall. It didn't hurt. Uh, it didn't hurt me. And I wasn't knocked out. In fact, I became super conscious of the presence and the power of God. And I could feel the Holy Spirit. Physically, I could feel the Holy Spirit going through my body. And uh, that night I, I, I came home, I went home and, and um, you know, I, I was awakened during the night with the presence, with the awareness of the presence of God in my life. And I was immediately empowered, renewed, and it was shortly after that that I was involved with an interview with Peter Wagner that led to an interview with John Wimber that led to our moving back to California, writing the books. But this had to happen to prepare me for that. Then John Wimber, incidentally, uh, prayed for me while we were talking on the phone, what, 2,200 miles away from each other. And I said, asked John, I said, hey, John, will you pray for the Holy Spirit to fill me? Bam! I was knocked off my chair. And I mean, that night, I could again feel the waves of the Holy Spirit going through, through me, being awakened at night. And it, it was like super empowering. And uh, the Word of God was just everything. Vision. And I spoke that weekend down in Toledo, Ohio. And when I spoke, uh, I'm, at one point, I 
uh, move my arms forward. And a whole row of men fell off their chairs. And they said, what was that? We felt the Holy Spirit come on us. Now, I wish I could tell you that's happened again since then. It didn't. But that was the power of God, the Holy Spirit working in me and through me. And my takeaway was, this isn't for you, this is for others. And then shortly after that, um, I entered into a relationship with John that went on for a number of years and we relocated uh, back to our home in California. And I worked closely with John. But it, it all started with Mahesh praying over me when I was thought I just was burnt out. And I think all pastors, leaders, all Christians go through these periods. And my takeaway from that is when you go through these periods, go to God and ask him to fill you. Um, I mean, this is exactly my experience of my initial first time I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Dr. Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ, spoke up at Arrowhead Springs. And he talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I prayed, well, Holy Spirit, come and fill me that night. Bam! It happened. So um, why don't Christians, that's what Scripture says we're to do. Why don't we obey Scripture, you know, and say, step out in faith. Fill me. Use me. Do with me as you wish. And that's a... That's a wonderful prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a liberating prayer. It's, it, 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 will, it will not only change your life, but more significantly, it will change many others' lives because of your obedience. Mm. Kevin, you, you've got another word um, that you call a big word in your book. You talk about this, this kind of experience you had in Grand Haven. You had two separate experiences, I think one of heaven and one of hell. Oh. Would, would you oh, yeah, take Grace a moment and, ex- yeah. and explain those yeah. to us? Yeah, that's at Grace Haven. It was a Labrie-type center. It was really bad enough of Labrie. We were part of a community there. I call that in my, our years of uh, discipleship, uh, in the school of discipleship is the chapter title, um, in my 20s, because God wants to lay foundations so we know what we believe and why we believe it. Well, one of the, I had two experiences there that... Uh, I've never forgotten, obviously. One of them was I was, uh, uh, this was on a 400-acre farm, and we had numerous families, and students would come in and do a work-study program. So anyway, it was that time of year in Ohio where there are uh, tornadoes. And um, it was an odd weather day, and uh, I was walking by a stream, and all of a sudden everything went quiet, and the sky went kind of greenish. And I thought, ooh, I think I might be in the eye of a, tur- or of a tornado. And um, then all of a sudden I felt um, the presence of evil all, all around me. And there was a sense I had that, that we, are, um, in, um, we are in a spiritual battle against the, the forces of darkness the authorities and forces of darkness, and that we dare not take this lightly. And I uh, took on the power of God. I didn't rebuke it. I just said, I trust you, Jesus. And uh, you, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And, but it was that sense of the very presence of evil. And uh, the second experience I had there, it wasn't at the same time, another time. Uh, we had a little church, a couple hundred people, and we were worshiping. 
And for a period of time, there was a sense in my worship, and it wasn't just alone, it was with the people there, of oneness where, where we were in heaven. <laughs> I know how else to say it. The presence of God was there. We were singing with one voice and one heart. And there was great joy. And it was the greatest experience of worship I've ever had in my life. And uh, it was at that point that God said, this is a little taste, just a taste of what's it gonna be like for all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And, uh, and I knew at that time, it's worth anything and everything that God wants us to do here in order to look forward to the fullness of that that's yet to come that I got a little taste of. Yeah, and so those were, were, now I'm not saying I never had great worship experiences since then, or I've never encountered spiritual battles with demons or whatever since then, I have. But, um, but those two were, were really uh, life-altering for me. Kevin, can you maybe like, just for a second speak into, I mean, some of these seem kind of grandiose, like, you know, um, God's, you know, clearly speaking to you in, in, in different spaces, you're getting visions of, of heaven and hell, someone's putting their hands on you and you're getting thrust back 10 feet, you know, people are watching them. I and I've been a believer for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, I've never had an experience like any of these. Um, is there, is there something that you would instruct, encourage, tell people like, you know, how does, how does one get experiences like this? Or, or maybe, maybe this isn't for everyone and that's okay. Can you maybe speak to the individual who hasn't yeah, had encounters yeah. like this and, and what means that? I didn't actually seek any of these things. I just made myself available to be used by, you know, for God to touch me in any way that he wanted to. I didn't. I didn't plan uh, that encounter on that bridge in, in Ohio on the farm to suddenly be surrounded by the, the, the evil and the authorities and the worldly powers and the way that I sense were there, which incidentally, we are always surrounded by them. God just like opened my eyes up to what we're really dealing with here. And it's sobering. Okay, and, and, and the worship experience, I didn't go into worship that Sunday expecting that. If we should just, if, if we're just saying in our hearts, uh, I don't, and, and boy, I hope coming out of this interview, people say, gee, I want to have that kind of experience that Kevin had with Mahesh, where he prayed over him and he was knocked 10 feet, bam, and all that. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. It's just, Lord, I just open my, my heart to you in obedience and uh, i know and i want to have foundations built in your truth i know what i believe and why i believe it and and um which is an, another thing i pray every night when i go to bed i i pray uh the apostles creed every night when i go to bed i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth and in jesus christ his only son our lord who is conceived by the holy spirit and so on and so forth every night that's the foundational truth. And then we open our hearts. And um, what happens to me is what's happened to me. But God has this really, has an incredible, unimagined adventure for all of us. But number one, we can't be quitters. Number two, we have to be willing to say to God, you're number one, you're first in everything. 
And and I gave up. I had I had to give up certain academic um, goals I had, uh, starting with medical school, and and then. Um, doing a PhD program in history because the seminary I graduated from wanted me to come back and be a church history professor. And uh, I, I had to say no to some things and some business opportunities and so on to say, God, what do you want? And, you know, I mean, when I said yes to ministry, my first, my first pastoral position was, was to care for 100 chickens. That's my first flock. And you think I wasn't sitting there? By the way, chickens are really dirty. <laughs> I can't begin to tell you. Uh, but you think I wasn't sitting there in this barn, dilapidated barn in Ohio, saying, "What am I doing here?" And and uh, God said, "You're obeying me. That's all. Just just step out." And as we step out in that way, then these amazing things begin to happen. I'm convinced of that, and it's for everyone. And I wrote this book not to say, um, well, this is unique, I, and only for me. I wrote this book to say everyone has a story, and everyone who steps out in faith will experience the, the unique story that God has for them if they only open their hearts to him and are willing to be obedient and put him first in everything. It's a hard Amen. word. Amen. Okay. Well, I know we uh, talked about this a bit in Anaheim, but we didn't talk about this one sentence that you wrote in your book that made me a little bit curious. And it was about John Wimber. Uh, obviously, you worked with him a long time. And at the end of his life, uh, you wrote this, that he said to you, quote, this doesn't feel like my vineyard anymore. It was after you you discussed the formation of the denomination and uh, kind of the formalizing of the organizational structure. Um, could you talk to us about that? What exactly did John mean by that when he said it? Well, there are a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, toward the end of his life, um, yes, and, and when the denominational structure started, and I know he said it wasn't a denomination, but, you know, it was – when you organize a bunch of churches, put them together, and you have government, that's called nomination. Um, <laughs> but regardless, uh, uh, suddenly a, a variety of lever, leaders uh, got involved and were uh, with voices that were really not, how can I say this, the foundational truths and what, God used John uniquely for in blessing the church, among other things, what would be equipping the saints. I actually edited Equipping the Saints magazine for a number of years. The idea being that we all have gifts and we all have something to do. And so when you go to hear John Wimber speak on healing, he wasn't a healing evangelist. It wasn't to go and have John pray over you. It was to go and equip you to be able to do the work of the ministry in, for example, healing, among other things. Or it might be evangelism, going out and being more effective evangelism. But this particular conference that was at the Anaheim Convention Center, suddenly we had uh, speakers who were what I would call healing evangelists or, um, 
or uh, prophets that people went to have them pray for them individually or to get a personal prophetic word from them. And um, the whole idea of equipping and releasing the saints and all that John emphasized, it wasn't there. And uh, he knew it and um, he felt it. And uh, it was very hard. It was never really the same for him after that. He wasn't saying they were bad or they weren't his friends. He just realized that the, the vineyard, or at least that ministry, was entering a new era that would be more of a, uh, a traditional Pentecostal era as opposed to a um, uh, third wave evangelical uh, charismatic era. I don't know if that says it. I'm not using very good words there. So that was hard for him and very difficult. And then uh, um, any organization that starts to grow and gets more diverse and uh, more diverse voices and moves and so on. Um, and then John got sick and that was that. Yeah, he kind of looked back and he said, gee, did I do well with, with the church? And I, I got together with him sh shortly before he died, and I, I tried to reassure him, John, you did a great job, but it's, it's a new generation. It's, there's, a new, there's a new era here now, and just bless them, and uh, it'll be their responsibility. But I do believe that the foundational teachings that he brought us still um, you know, were, were life-transforming for the church. That's good. Amen. So we're kind of at the point of our show, uh, Kevin, where we've got to wrap things up. I'd like to do this where we kind of go around and get kind of like a closing thought or nugget from both of you, both Michael and yourself, just kind of like a kind of closing kind of takeaway moment of like, this is something I want people to think about, meditate on as they're walking away from an interview like this. Uh, Roundtree, I'm going to start with you and then we'll toss it over to Kevin. Yeah. Uh, man, I love what you talk about with friendship with God. I talk about it every Sunday. The greatest truth I know is that God loves us and he wants to be our friend. And uh, I just think that's amazing. And uh, like you said, Kevin, friends talk to each other and they listen to each other's voice and they know each other's voice. And so uh, that's just a part of growing in a friendship with God. And I just uh, I think that's so important. And, uh, and we can turn it into a theological debate if we want to. But at the end of the day, God really just wants friends. And, uh, and he wants friends who are hearing and obeying his voice. So I think that would be my number one takeaway. Uh, thanks so much, Kevin, for joining us. Oh, sorry. I had you off. One more time. That's Josh's uh, fault. <laughs> oh, I thought you wanted me to say something. Uh, I think I want to say that it's about being naturally supernatural in our walk with God. Um, I think sometimes we make too much of it. When we're friends with God and he's friends with us, we're rooted in scripture and uh, we're a part of a people where we have relationships. Of, uh, and then we move forward in putting him first in everything. All these other things will happen and it's fantastic. It's beautifully fantastic. And, and, you know, I want to say one other thing. If, any, if anybody does want to uh, um, receive a copy of my book, they can go to Barnes & Noble or, or it's available wherever you buy books. And uh, you can certainly order uh, the book there. I'd be very honored and I'd love to hear from you too. I have a website, kevinnoblespringer.com, and 
and I'm not starting to make uh, uh, blog entries on that, articles addressing a lot of the issues we're talking about right now. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on today's program. We really appreciate it. Know your time uh, is busy and precious. So for those of you who are out there, check out links in the description to go pick up Kevin's book. But also, if you're interested in supporting the channel, we're crowdfunded. So make sure to subscribe, like the video, share it around. And if you want to support, there are links in the description to do so. And we'll see you guys next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. We have a video that we've produced on the cessationism documentary. So if you're interested in our thoughts about the new documentary, Cessationist, you should go check out our show this Wednesday at 4 p.m central time you guys stay tuned and we'll see you next time want to thank kairos classrooms for sponsoring this episode of remnant radio and if you're out there you've ever wondered hey i wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies well you need to check out kairos classrooms they offer greek and hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you it's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers and they help teach you the biblical languages of greek in Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.